And what's happening, everyone? Welcome on in to the Check Your Brain podcast here. Uh, wherever you're watching this or listening to this, I'm going to put this out on YouTube, Rumble. Uh, it's going to be on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. Go find Check Your Brain at locals.com. My name is Tony Mazer, and uh, we are a couple of weeks into the baseball season. So, by the way, if you are following along for free on the free podcast, yes, I do some episodes. I talk about what's going on in the world. Last week's one was on East Palestine, Ohio. So I'll get into some serious topics and others not so serious, like the state of Major League Baseball. And uh, we're a couple of weeks into the baseball season, so I figured I haven't really even talked about baseball. I haven't talked about much going on in spring training. We're already here in mid-April. I've barely mentioned it. Um, so why not? Why not get into some of the statistics, some of the things that have happened, the changes in baseball? Are they, are they going to be good? I've talked about it many times on this podcast. I am an old-school baseball guy. Um, pitch clocks bigger stolen bases, throwing the ball over to first base, only two times you can do it, and all these other things we're going to get into in, into in the podcast. I'll introduce my guest, Brandon, who's a, a fellow patron on Patreon. Again, if you want to subscribe, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer, and he is a, a longtime patron of mine, and he's also a podcaster. He's on the uh, um, do, doing a lot of other stuff and betting shows. Uh, if you want to get the plugs out, where's, uh, where can we find you on social media and uh, where can we listen to the podcast? You can check out this guy gets it 93 at twitter.com. And you can check out my, I started my own podcast. It's just a bunch of random shit. I'm not a professional broadcaster or comedian. I'm just a regular guy who just, you know, I'm here to have fun. Uh, hopefully I do get better at podcasting though. Uh, you can check out Brandon's shitty stream. It's on uh, youtube.com at Brandon's shitty stream. There you go. So always, always have a curse in there because it's great for the algorithm. <laughs> right. Well, it's an ask. There's an asterisk in there. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yes. <laughs> but you're, but you know, we we connected what probably a year or so ago, and um, uh, especially with love of baseball. Uh, if you're not watching on video, he's got his Yankees hat on. You've got uh, I see in the background. Is that uh, is that Derek Jeter? Is that uh, yep? There's is that like a big yeah, there's only 150 of these, and there's a, a capsule of game-used dirt, which uh, Jeter himself played on. Jeter and dirt. I I, I remember one time, I, I may have told you the story, but when I was covering the team that at the time they were still known as the Cleveland Indians, and it was when A-Rod was trying to go after his 600th home run. So this was 2010, and they had a four-game series in Cleveland, at uh, well, it was Progressive Field at the time, and it still is, unfortunately, no matter how many times we want to call it the Jake or Jacobs Field. Yeah. And uh, so A-Rod has four games. So you're thinking upwards of maybe 16 times uh, that he's going to come to the plate and possibly hit his 600th home run. So and I'm a member of the media at the time. And I got a chance to go in the visitor's locker room and uh, talk to Joe Torre or not Joe Torre, uh Joe Girardi. And uh, I'm sitting there and I, I, I sat down in the dugout and I've got Mark Teixeira on one side of me and I've got Derek Jeter on the other. And I have uh, 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 you have A-Rod kind of walking around and everybody. I'm just like, this is a surreal thing. And I'm like, and I'm going to see history. I'm going to see how many guys have hit 600 home runs. That whole series, I think A-Rod, his best shot was a fly out to center field. And the rest of it, he struck out or he grounded out. And then, of course, the first game he comes back to Yankee Stadium, he hits the home run and it's 600. So I'm like, yeah, great, of course. <laughs> but uh, no, it's um. so you're a Yankee fan. I'm a, I'm an Angels fan, but I also understand what the Angels have gone through. The, you know, the old meme of Mike Trout and uh, Ota uh, Shohei Otani's doing things that no one has done since Mordecai three fingers Brown or whatever. And Mike Trout hit three home runs. And Oh, by the way, the uh, angels lost to the tigers eight to three today. So yeah. <clears throat> we haven't really done much as far as the angels go uh, in our history, especially recent history in the last 10 plus years, even though they'll make a splash in free agency and do absolutely nothing with it, whether it's Pujols, whether it's well, CJ Wilson, Anthony Rendon, Josh Hamilton, Josh. you name it. So there's a lot of real problems, but so I wanted to do this podcast. I figured I'd talk to you about it. And you and I were kind of talking off the air before we hit record. 
about some of those changes and one that you are a fan of because you get a chance to see a little bit more action, more baseball is this pitch clock. So talk about what are your thoughts on how things have come about? Cause they've had this soft pitch clock the last couple of years. They didn't really enforce it. And now the umpires are really paying attention and you know, it's it, you're seeing games getting decided by this. Right, right. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's that itself is unfortunate. If it came down to a last strike or a last ball and you got the winning run on third, that that that's a that would be bad. But uh, I do like the games being shorter. However, I'm I'm like you. I'm an old school guy. The only thing I do like, I like the DH and I kind of like the pitch clock. But as far as um, if the guy doesn't throw the ball in time or the batter doesn't get ready in time or he tries to call time, I'm not a fan of that. Um, but I don't see any way around it. Um, just the constant rule changes, though, are, are just what's – they're trying to attract more fans. Like, you're not going to be able to recreate the boom of the steroid era. That's what they're trying to do. They tried it a few years ago in 2019 when you had guys hitting close to 40 home runs that never hit over 30, um, like Glaber Torres, Brett Gardner, guys like that, former Yankee guys that were just mashing the ball that year. Um the bigger bases, this with the they want people to more the run on the base pass. Mm-hmm. I still think the stolen base it is being um, utilized a little bit more because the bigger bases. But before that, it was kind of dying out. You know, you don't you don't want to take the bat out of your your number three or number four guy just because you wanted to steal a base. But um, well that was that well and, and well, let's get to a couple of more uh, of those things. We'll we'll kind of spread them out through the podcast right. here because uh, the pitch clock has been interesting because as I said they. They soft launched it a couple of years ago. No one really enforced it. Now they're enforcing it. Right. It's changing games and it's it's making the game shorter. But ultimately, let's be honest here. If you're under 30 and you're not really much of a baseball fan and what kept you away was the length of games, I guarantee those people are not coming back to baseball, even if the games are shortened by anywhere between five no. to 30 minutes. It's... It, it, uh, what Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has done everything he can to ruin the sport, just gut it from the inside. And to think right. that millennials and Zoomers who are going to go watch a, a baseball game, all they want are home runs. Well, that's what happened a couple of years ago. I've uh, In 2013, I remember Pedro Alvarez led the league in home runs for the yeah, Pirates. I and I him. think he had like 35 or 37 home runs. All of a sudden, a couple of years later, they're setting home run records, like team records and league records way past the steroid era. Is it because weight training is a little better? Is it guys are putting a little extra creatine powder in their soft drinks or are they dieting better than they used to in the past? Or did they do something to manipulate the baseballs? They tightened the strings inside where they are essentially super balls or golf balls that were coming off their bats. And then you're seeing home run records fall. And like you said, there are guys that normally, like I, I remember Elvis Andrus, who was a guy who may hit five home runs. I think he yeah. hit 20, 25 one year. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, so, so their mindset is, the only way we can get more people into the game is they don't want to see the two two to one pitchers duel. They want to see the 10 to nine, uh, eight home runs by each team game. And it just it, looking at the ratings. And by the way, this is pre COVID too. looking at the ratings yeah. didn't really do anything. So little soon to figure out what's going to happen here. But I just think the shortening the games in some ways, I, I mean, maybe it brings two fans, but is it really worth it down the road of possibly pissing off a lot of long old school baseball fans who don't really care about the state of play. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Cause you could bring in a new fan, but a longtime fan, you don't know if a new fan will stick around these longtime fans, you know, all these rule changes, they could, you know, get annoyed with it and they are getting annoyed with it. I kind of do like the pitch clock, but however, like you said, if it's going to change the outcome of games, I can't stand by that. I don't, I, I, haven't I, I seen- mean, the, the great part about baseball was you had that opportunity where, yeah, maybe a four four uh, four hour game is nine innings that or right. some games where you have a quick pitchers duel. I remember many, many times. It doesn't matter that the, the era you'll have a couple of games are just over two hours because you got a pitcher is just really efficient. Um, uh, Verlander for many years with the Tigers was that kind of guy that he gets Greg the Maddox. ball and he's looking in and ready to throw another pitch. Mark Burley was another example of that. And then what was delaying baseball games? Was it the the fact that guys are stepping out too many times and digging in, adjusting their 
uh, like like Nomar Garcia Para. They're adjusting their <laughs> yeah. uh, wristband and they've got the gloves and they've got the pine tar in the hat and doing this and this. And then they step out again and then the pitcher steps out and then throws over to first a couple of times. Uh, the pitch clock, I'll say this, that doesn't bother me as much. But the throwing over to first base, the limits on that, I don't like those limits. I think that one is is probably the worst one because yeah. you'll get a guy that so so here's the rule for folks who don't know that you can only throw over to first base twice. And if you throw over a third time, you got to make sure that he's going to be caught or it's a balk. Now, the catcher can throw down to first base all he wants to try to pick you off. But to have a limit that, hey, by the way, you can only throw to first base twice. Then if you have a speedy guy, then he might have that opportunity. Well, he already threw over twice. What's my incentive other to try to steal? I mean, it, it's, and then it changes the mindset of a pitcher because now he's going, I already threw over twice. This guy's a steal threat. Now I can't throw anything off speed. So now I got to throw a fastball. It changes a lot. It's adding unnecessary strategy to the game right now. Right. I, and I wasn't even aware of that rule change. Um, you can only throw over twice. That That mm-hmm. is insane because you had, remember guys like I used to watch old Mets games with my dad when I was growing up, Al Leiter, he would throw over the first, how many, four five, six times in an at bat. I don't know if you remember watching Al Leiter, Andy Pettit, he always had a good pickoff mm-hmm. move. He would throw over first quite a bit too. So you, you're, you're taking, you know, you're taking an easy out, which you can get if you had a, a southpaw with a good pickoff move, you're taking an out he can make, you know, you're going to let a speedy guy steal a base. Now you're going to have a runner in scoring position. You know, you're, you're, you're already the one I hate the most, though, is the guy, the extra inning, you got a guy on second base. That's utterly I can't ridiculous. believe they're still doing that. I mean, that is that is, that is embarrassing. I, I understood that is like that... some backyard T-ball stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it is to the level of. Everybody gets ice cream after the game. That's embarrassing yeah. that they, I, I actually forgot. I thought they were trying to get rid of that. And yeah, that's I'm what watching I thought it, too. Yeah, I, I, it might be after this year. I'm not sure. I don't remember, but I remember reading that they were trying to get rid of it. And I was watching games over the weekend and noticed that these games are being decided because they put a ghost runner on second base. And it, by the way, it's not just any ghost runner. It's the guy who made the last out the previous inning. So you're rewarding the guy for making the last out in the last inning by putting him on second base. Then that changes the strategy of what do we do? Do we walk the next guy, which is now not a four pitch walk. It's immediately they go over to first base. All these things have changed in baseball. This is a a game that's been around for 160 years. And in the last couple of years, we decide now we're going to overhaul huge swaths of this game. And I'm sorry if I sound very boomer right now to some audience members, but it's I, I get that the game needed a little bit of a refresher course. It needed maybe a little jump start in some ways. I don't know if this is the way. I don't know. And maybe it's too too soon to tell. Maybe I'll eat my words years down the road and I'll go, hey, you know, I looked at the ratings. The World Series is up, but I, I just don't see it. I don't see it being the case. Right. And it makes you think, like, what's next? Because. You know, I was born in 93, so Bud Selig was the commissioner for, like, most of my childhood going into, like, my early adulthood, and then you had Manfred take over. It makes me think, one, how much longer is he going to stay in his position? And, two, like, what's next? Is he going to have a 10 or 11-man batting lineup? We're going to add an extra guy to a batting lineup? We're going to have two DHs in a lineup? He, he could, you know, this guy is changing the game altogether, you know? He, he could come up with more crazy rules. You don't, you don't know what these guys are saying behind the scenes. I almost feel it's being gutted from the inside. It's be, it, baseball is being imploded where you can have other sports go up against a baseball game. I mean, we've seen that. We're seeing that right now. The MLB and the NH, or the NBA and the NHL playoffs are going up against regular season baseball. And if your team, if your town, like for example, I'm in Cleveland and the uh, the Cavaliers are going up against, and the team once known as the Indians, now the Guardians, if there's a game, a regular season game against Kansas City, or a Cavaliers playoff game, even if there's fringe audiences on both ends, more people and more TVs around town are going to be tuned into NBA. That's just what's going to happen in a 162-game season. That's where I'm wondering, the next thing, is it's going to get dropped down to 140. I think oh, they're going to look th- in terms of putting a 145 game season. They're going to say 162 is too much. Well, here's the problem. 
162 too much, then you drop down to 145. Then you'll have the same people are going to complain. 145 is too much. It needs to be 120. Where do you stop? Where do we stop? Yeah. It, it, where do we where do we stop appeasing people who don't care that much about the game? Yeah, exactly. And then and then this this makes me sound like a baseball mark and savant or whatever. You're you're gonna no no records are gonna be broken anymore because they're gonna be playing shorter games. So you're not gonna have anybody break any home run records. You're not gonna have like any milestone or record breaking or anything. It's already gonna be washed away, just like the Hall of Fame. And I, I loved your episode with the uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but the Scott Rowland episode that was great. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was great, man. Yeah, he should not like, have already. But, well, and like you said, that a lot of those records are just gonna be absolute things of the past. I mean, clearly right. Cal Ripken's, you talk about the unbreakable records. You have Cal Ripken's 2000 plus game streak. It'll never be broken. And I'm a firm believer that it should never be broken because Cal Ripken was selfish that, you know, this as a Yankee fan. If Cal Ripken were healthy and decided that instead of trying to play in this game streak, that if he took a couple of days off in the nineties, that Oriole team probably would have beaten the Yankees that would have the, the forget Jeffrey Mayer over in right field would have yep. probably beat them in 96 and went to the world series yep. against uh, uh, Atlanta. Um, but because one of your key members decides to play with hamstring poles and torn this and broken that and strained and sprained stuff like that, just because he wants to get a record going, it's kind of a selfish thing for a team. So, um, you know, uh, those records are not going to be broken. And of course we all know, no one stolen bases are now a thing of the past. Now I'm, I'm right. you and I are both watching the same game right now in the background. We just see a stolen base by, I, I didn't see who that was. Is that Nimmo? Um, uh, for the Mets let's see here. No, it's uh, I, I don't, I don't know who it is. Nimmo's but, got you know, a lot of speed, but they don't, they don't want him to steal bases. No, so Nimmo's at the plate. I believe that might've been Escobar. Okay. Yeah. So, but so what they've done now is they're altering it by saying we've heard for years, people are, there's no stolen bases. So what are we going to do? We're going to limit the throws over to first base to two. And we're also going to make the bases bigger because it's going to create more people incentivized to steal bases. And maybe that'll work a little bit, but I'm that part of the game is gone. Now that part of oh, the yeah. game is a is a thing of the past from a, a time when catchers were not as strong. And this is what it comes down to. As much as I would love to see stolen bases, every I remember in the 90s when Yvonne Rodriguez came on the scene, when he's playing for Texas, no one had a stronger cannon behind the plate than Yvonne Rodriguez. No one, maybe even to this day, I still can't find it. Now every catcher grew up watching Pudge Rodriguez and they all have cannons. Yep. Even Mike Fitzgerald of the Expos back in the day, a lot of these guys had noodles for arms that you just basically got the guy who can, I don't know, stop a wild pitch. And he was your catcher. He hits 152 yep. for the year. He bats ninth in your lineup. So <laughs> catchers were always kind of a eh, like an afterthought. Well, now you have catchers who are hitting 35 home runs like JT Real Muto. And you need somebody who's going to be uh, not going to be a liability. So that's why stolen bases from the days of Ricky Henderson, Vince Coleman, Tim Raines in the 80s, things have really changed. And you're going to get guys that are even if they're going to steal a couple more bases, they'll probably steal 40 as opposed to 35 this year. Right. And, I, and I've noticed this, too, like guys that don't have any power that they can bat like 280, 290 and they can steal a lot of bases like a Juan Pierre kind of guy. He, they might bounce around the league. They'll bounce around from team to team because the, 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 the GMs, they look into sabermetrics. They're like, okay, this guy's a one-dimensional player. He hits singles and still bases, steals bases. Like they don't value small ball that much anymore. So you'll see guys like that. They'll uh, be eventually designated for assignment and not in the league anymore. If they bat 250 and still steal a lot of bases, they don't want to keep them on as a pinch runner or a backup at all. Billy Hamilton was a great example of that past couple of years. So the, he was yeah, your yeah, leadoff hitter and your center fielder for the Reds for a number of years. But then, you know, his batting average was his on-base percentage wasn't as good as it should have been. So then he bounced around from team to team. And I don't know where he's at. I think he think he's out of baseball now or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he was one of those guys that he's not going to hit you 300. Actually, nobody hits 300 virtually anymore. No. 
Um, but uh, I think they're they're an organization. When you look at an organization that wants to put somebody together, if you are the the, the I'm, I'm looking at oh, here's a great example on TV. I'm looking at the first base coach of the Mets is Wayne Kirby. And Wayne Kirby played for the Indians, the Dodgers, a couple other teams in the past. He was a guy who's a fourth outfielder. He'd probably get you maybe at most 150 at bats a year. You put him out there because he's not going to hurt you in the field. He can pinch run. Those guys are gone now. You have to be oh, more yeah. of a complete player in Major League Baseball. And I don't think that I don't think that's a bad thing. As much as I complain about things now, you have to be a lot more of a complete player and not say, I'm only a catcher or I only play second base. It's like, now yeah. you're going to play right field today. Oh, yeah. I am? Okay. So you're seeing a lot more of that. So that's the one thing that I find interesting nowadays. But what we were talking about, the low on base percentage players and situational hitting is I, I just don't see that as much. And anytime I bring that up to, to the sabermetrics people, they say it's because the pitchers throw too hard and they throw the ball inside. So you're not going to be able to have a guy hit the opposite field if they're trying to jam you the whole time. So my example I bring up all the time is someone like Joey Gallo, who's now with Minnesota. He's a guy that you saw him with the Yankees. He'll hit you know, 170 for the year but it'll get you 35, 45 home runs. And you say, well, wait a second. When they actually had the shift, which will be my next topic here, is everybody knows he's going to hit to the right side. They leave the entire left side open. So what does he do? He hits it to the right side. Instead of Duke hits it the other way, and you'll be able to get an easy double out of it on a ball to third base, but they're not doing that. And their sabermetrics crew says, Mm -mm. Now it's just better off trying to hit over and beat that shift or at least beat where they're uh, all set up. And it's, I don't know, the, the lack of situational hitting, the lack of fundamentals are still what's bothering me about baseball today. Yep. And, uh, and you brought up a good name, Joey Gallo. I think he hit like 169 last year and only had 18 or 19 home runs. Like prior to, I'm going to say 2014, he wouldn't even have a job anymore. But this guy's still employed in Major League Baseball. Well, so, some like, players they they have a use because you right. give them that opportunity to. Okay, look, he hits a bunch of home runs. He's going to hit low batting average. Um, I, Rob Deere was an example for the the Milwaukee Brewers and the Tigers back in the day. You get uh, you get Adam Dunn was one of those guys. Every so often, you'll have one of them who hits a nice majestic home run. I think Fran Mill Reyes in the last couple of years was an all or nothing guy. The three genuine outcomes. Yep. But Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman was a great example. He'd yeah. strike out a lot, but had 450 career home runs. Um, not a Hall of Famer, but every so often you need some of those players. But what I find interesting was, um, again, old man Tony here grow, grew up in the 90s. And guys like Jeff Bagwell was a 30-30 guy, Jeff Bagwell. Yep. You know, the squatty guy who would squat and hit the ball 500 feet every time up. He's still got 30 steals in a year. You'd have, of course, yeah. Barry Bonds. You had Canseco. Canseco had a 40-40 year, of course. Yep. He also had a 30-30 year later in his career. You're talking about a guy who, I, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was Toronto or Tampa Bay, but towards the end of his career, he had a 30-30 season. Yep. And and like that's just unheard of for a power hitter that is also going to get on base, find a way to get on base, and tries to get to the next base. I don't know. I don't. I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. No matter how big or small they make the bases, we'll never see another forty forty guy. The last guy to officially got get that was uh, Alfonso Soriano in two thousand six, and I think Matt Kemp back in the early two thousand. I think maybe twenty eleven. I think mm -hmm. he got super close. He got mightily close to getting a forty forty. And uh, Acuna is the only one who might do it if he stays healthy. He could possibly do it. That's the only guy I can see doing 40-40. I, I think Trout has the ability to do it, but uh, – He's not going to do it. No, he doesn't want to risk injury. And maybe and Tim Anderson is another guy that has a potential, but I don't see him hitting 40 home runs. I see him being a 30-30 no. guy, but not 40-40. Uh, it, that's what's interesting. Or Julio Rodriguez another guy that could right, be somebody yeah. to watch out for down the road. Good young player. Uh, sure, so, yeah. so let's get to the shift. So I am somebody that I'm a firm believer in the shift, because if you are Joey Gallo, if you are some of these guys who hit to one side of the field, I think it should be free game to have everybody 
line up on that side of the field. I, I don't care. I, I would put the pitcher. If he if the pitcher was able to go anywhere near there, he would go on that side of the field. Well, they yeah. decided it's ruining baseball. At, like, well, you set this precedent with all the saber metrics and everything. You say that, oh, launch angle and their uh, our statistics show with the spray chart that he's going to hit over here. Okay, well, then if he's going to hit over here, why not defend over there? Well, they've decided yep. now this starting this year that you're if you're a shortstop, you have to stay on the shortstop to third base side. And if you're a second baseman, you have to stay on your side of second base. You can you can shade, but you can't shift, I guess, is what it is. So now we're starting to see a couple of more base hits up the middle because guys can only go so, so far over. And if you're somebody who is prone to being a middle to left left side hitter, if you're a right-handed batter, uh, if you're the second baseman and you know this, you can only go so far as almost near second base, but you're seeing a lot more singles are starting to pop up. Yep. And I, 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 some people really like it, but I, I'm again, I'm somebody that the shift has been around for a while. Joe Madden kind of changed baseball the last 15 years with it. But I, I feel that if you're somebody who's prone to hitting on one side of the field, I say line everybody up until you learn to hit opposite way. Yep. Exactly. Like do situational hitting. Like I remember seeing Jeter, um, you know, he wasn't a pull hitter, but you know, he would go the opposite way in situations like a runner on third. He would just try to, he had two strikes on him. You know, he'd defend the plate. He'd just try to shoot the ball the other way, you know, a weak little single little bloop single over the first baseman gets the run in, you know, these guys just don't, they don't believe in situational hitting anymore. And it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And you are seeing, you know, more singles now. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping the opportunity that this could lead to a couple more singles, but I, I want higher batting average. I yeah, just, I just... It, like we can complain about the steroid era. Not, and I'm not saying we, but like people can talk about it in these circles about the, the steroid era. All oh, these guys just hit monster home runs. They had adult acne and they had these this, this is you go like, but they also hit 300. Yep. And, and it, it, steroids are not going to make you hit doubles into the gap like yes they'll they'll help you they'll enhance you at the gym and you'll be able to be a little bit stronger and because of that you'll probably be able to lift the ball a little better but it's also not making you hit those seeing eye singles over the you know down down the first base line and a lot of those guys also hit for high averages what you're seeing now are guys will hit 40 home runs and hit for a very low average. And you're seeing all-stars. This was never a thing when we were growing up. An all-star that would have a 200 batting average. That yeah, Even that's... if they had a lot of home runs, you still wouldn't put them in the all-star game because yeah. you're like, they're hitting 200. This you can't, you can't have that. It looks terrible for our team. Yep. This is going to sound nerdy, but sometimes I'll listen to a podcast, maybe you or Chad or somebody else. And I'll be like, while I'm listening to you guys, I'll go on baseball reference. I'll just look at random teams from the early nineties. Cause that's the era I missed out on and mm -hmm. the eighties. Cause I was born in 93 and I'll look, Oh, why did this guy retire at age 34? Oh, he started hitting 230, 240, And he turned 33, 34. He retired like that. And my dad was born in 1948. If you hit under 250, 260, you know, in the 60s, 70s, that that was taboo back then. Now it's, oh, that's that's okay. You know, you, that's okay. 200 or above, you're getting on base, your exit velocity, that's all that matters. You're hitting the ball harder than 80% of the league. You know, you'll have a starting job. The that's 1995 Indians, of. their first baseman was Paul Sorrento. And I remembered Sorrento hit 25 home runs that year, but he hit like 230. 230, 235. And I'm just like, ah, oh, what a bum. Thank God this guy's gone. Then they replaced him with Julio Franco, who was, uh, I think he was 50 then. And he was, he played another 10 to 12 years. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, but Sorrento, who again, 25 home runs, hit about 230, was pretty average defensively. If he played nowadays, he is making 20 million a year. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, he was a guy that uh, he ended up signing with Seattle. He played there a couple of years, then played for the expansion Devil Rays, and that was it for his career. But if he were playing nowadays, a guy that was just a, a left-handed stick, plays first base, you DH him, maybe you throw him in the outfield for a game or two, that guy's, that guy's making nine-figure salary. <laughs> oh, yeah, hands down. Yeah, it's it's insane, the, the salaries nowadays, too. Um, speaking of which, I'm going to – 
I'm going to segue into this. This is just random out of the blue. What are your, yep. your thoughts on? I don't think I asked you this last time. Trevor Bauer, former Cleveland Indian, former Cincinnati Red, former Cy Young Award winner, gets uh, accused of something he was found innocent of. And I guess the lady that accused him works for MLB. He, he's playing in Japan now for $4 million yep. this season, which is like a bargain. And no MLB, no MLB team will touch him. I mean, I, that that's insane. Yeah, so Trevor Bauer, I kind of saw the beginnings of uh, much of his career in Cleveland. Uh, He came over from Arizona in a trade. It was a three-team trade with Cincinnati, with Shinsu Chu going to Cincinnati for a year, and uh, a couple other guys were moved around. I think uh, uh, there were a couple other guys. What's that? He came from Arizona, yeah. It was like a three-team trade, yeah. He started in Arizona and he played from like 2013 till he got traded in 2019 because he threw the ball over the center field fence, which everyone <laughs> yeah, told I remember me that he, cause he showed up Francona and Francona doesn't like that. And never, and, and it's, we kind of see what ended up happening. And then he won the Cy Young at Cincinnati the next year, but the, uh, the whole thing with Trevor Bauer, and I'm, I'm going to be careful because I know a little bit more about this story and I don't want to, say right. i don't want to implicate people oh, but yeah. bauer is a guy that he's he's not married doesn't really have like a committed relationship and he puts that out there to his because i know i know a couple of girls who've been around trevor bauer let's just say and he's somebody he puts that out on on the table immediately by saying look i am a baseball player I'm in my twenties or maybe early thirties. Now Um, I am not really the most faithful guy. I'm probably not going to be the greatest boyfriend. Certainly wouldn't be a great husband. So this is where you can get off. If you don't want to have any kind of relationship or any talk right now, this is where we stop. If you are fine with this and there's no commitment, anything like that, then we'll have fun. And then you'll be my San Diego girl and you'll be my um, Seattle girl and you'll be my Chicago girl. And that's kind of what uh, stories that I have heard about Trevor Bauer, shall we say. Um, So he ends up getting railroaded, but it really ultimately is his. Yes, he's not. He's not guilty. He didn't rape a woman. He was with a woman who liked rough sex and she wanted strangle me, spank me, punch me, do this and that. And if you're a professional athlete, you need to you you need to realize this, especially if it's not your wife to say, yeah, no, we're just doing missionary today. No, we're only going to do something because I don't want you coming across saying like, hey, you bruised me because we had rough sex. Hey, you pulled my hair too hard. Look at, the, look at my follicles. Look at the hair that you yanked out of me right now. And that's his fault. And there's some guys have yep. gone through that this process too. So did she want rough sex? Yes. Should he have obliged? Absolutely not. And um, he's paying the price and he's absolutely being railroaded which is weird because you have somebody who's in the same town that Trevor Bauer was playing for a while and Deshaun Watson for the Cleveland Browns, who's going into massage parlors and asking for hand jobs and everything like that from not from Asian massage parlors where it's a wink and a nod. He's doing so at actual massage therapists and doing that and credible dozens of accounts of this happening. And you know, it's one of those cases of how does one, how does it work on one side? But Trevor Bauer, who again had rough sex with a girl, and she claimed way after the fact that, hey, maybe it was a little too rough. Now he has to play in Japan because no one else wants him because his name is Mud in, in the United States. It's I, I think it's I think it's out of line, but he should have probably understood what he was getting himself right. into when she was asking for that. Right. And he always came off like as abrasive and cocky. And I, I do feel bad for the guy. But like you said, he brought it on himself. He was making good money at the time. And I just think, is he like just paying his dues? And like, is this like his apology tour by going to Japan? I know he's not like verbally apologizing. I see his posts all the time. But like, does MLB, will they acknowledge him after he's pitched in Japan for a year and say, OK, you can come back now? Do you think that? I don't think so. I think he's done. You think? He's done I think he's okay. he's going to try to be a legend in Japan like some some players uh, um, like after the 1994 strike. There were a lot of guys that uh, said, yeah, I'm not going to 
No, I'm, I'm not going to cross the picket line. I'm going to stay in Japan. A lot of guys spent the 95, 96 seasons over in Japan. I remember Shane Mack, who played with the Minnesota Twins, did that. And some guys will end up being huge stars overseas in Korea, Japan, whatever. Um, but I, I think there was such a public outcry over Trevor Bauer that his name is so sullied and teams just do not want to go around it. And again, it's not like he did anything horribly wrong, but they're afraid, especially in a sport that is trying to cater to Gen Z, is trying to cater to women and cater to anything else to come into the ballpark. That's why every every ballpark has a beer garden and a vape yard and this and that. So the last thing the Major League Baseball would want is a guy who has a, a, a rape threat around him that there's going to be a huge protest. So I think baseball yeah. is just going to be like, like football can get away with it. NFL is like, Oh yeah, we have, we have five rapists on our team and another guy ran over somebody drunk driving and two guys murdered everybody. And it's like, but Hey, as long as they're not kneeling for the flag on Sunday, the NFL doesn't really care and they don't have to deal with the repercussions when it comes to public, uh, public relations blowbacks, but MLB has to, and that's what they're afraid of. Right. And um, just going back to our rule changes, I just, you know, I'm, I'm glancing over at this Padres-Mets game. I'm looking at Buck Showalter, and I just realized this this guy managed the Yankees in 1995 before all this. He's been in baseball for mm-hmm. since the 70s. This guy was managing. He's probably the only current manager now that's ma- that managed baseball in the mid-90s, and he's still managing. Like, I would love well, to, Dusty like, Baker. Get, yeah, that too. I'm sorry. Dusty Baker. I would love to get those two guys and say, dude, what was it like managing in 1995 to managing now? Like, guys are being rewarded for pitching five innings. Oh, you, you pitched five innings. You threw 90 pitches. Great start. Like, it's just, it's just insane, man. Buck Showalter was a, I, he was kind of one of the lackeys with Billy Martin. He was one of the, I think he was like the designated driver of Billy Martin's crew uh, <laughs> back in the late eighties. And uh, cause B- Billy ended up, I think his last go around with the Yankees was 88 and he got into an incident where he just started picking up dirt and throwing it at umpires. And then he got yeah. into a, yet another bar fight. And then they said, Billy's going to be our manager in 1990. And <sighs> because he ended up dying in 89 yeah. or right around Christmas time. And Lou Pinella took the job with March shot with Cincinnati. They had to I think Bucky Dent was their manager and they went through maybe Gene Michael. I forgot who was at the time. And Buck Showalter had been with the organization a number of years anyway. So they brought him on board and he's there for four years. And you think about what Buck has done. I mean, he was a, it was, a, he's a four time manager of the year. I, I think it was like 95, 2004. The, and he's done it with four separate teams. I think it was the Yankees, yeah. Rangers, uh, Orioles, and then the Mets last year. Yeah, and he, and he opened up with the Diamondbacks too. I think he was their first manager, I want to say. He was. And, yeah. and, and, and just like with the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, they fire him, and the next year their new manager takes him and wins the World Series in Bob yeah, Renly. Yeah, he he manages for like two or three years, and he's like, "Oh, I'm done. I'm just going to be a broadcaster now." Well, he well he ended up getting getting let go, and uh, he actually was a in the Indians organization in 2006. And he was before he went to baseball tonight. He did some stuff in the Indians organization, like he had some kind of dumb role where he probably got an undeserved check, and they should have had Eric Wedge fired because he failed in 2006, kept him on board, and that just. But you had your opportunity. Now Buck Showalter still managing. Eric Wedge not managing anymore. Will never manage in big league baseball. Yeah. Uh, but Buck is a, is a guy that, no pun intended, is kind of bucking the trends of old school manager, does things his way. But he's he's not a guy that ignores. And this is my big thing. And I've talked about this on many podcasts about baseball or any sport, for example. I am a firm believer in analytics if they're used along with the eye test. And if you are a player, if you're a manager, if you're a general manager, if you're somebody in the organization, you need to have somebody that can look at things uh, analytically, but also physically. You have to have somebody who's going to look at it. So like you look at Moneyball, and they always bring up the example of Jason Giambi's leaving for free agency. He's going to get big money, probably going to the Yankees. Well, instead of finding our next Jason Giambi, the athletics are going to have a platoon of three different guys to play in that position for way cheaper. 
And Scott Hatterberg apparently had a better on-base percentage than Jason Giambi. Okay. Well, what happened? <laughs> the Oakland hasn't that... been anywhere close. <laughs> it's like, you're going to tell me that Scott Hatterberg, who was a yeah. <laughs> backup catcher with the Boston Red Sox for a number of years, he hit one home run off, off Jason Grimsley that made it had 20 in a row for the Oakland A's. You're going to tell me, that because he had a slightly higher on-base percentage than the AL MVP, that you're going to say, no, that's justified. And I think the money ball aspect is really kind of blown up, and it's not where what it was 10, 15 years ago. Because there was a time where the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox would spend like drunken sailors, and you get your Pirates, your Indians, your Royals, your Brewers that were just like, yeah, we're the Marlins. The Marlins would open up camp and the Yankees would have two players that made more than their entire roster. And everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with that? Well, eventually you had to change a little bit. And some of these teams had to finally spend some money. And George Steinbrenner for, said for, for so many years, if I have to pay for this revenue in this revenue sharing, I want you to, if you're taking money away from me, you need to use the money for something instead of putting it into your ballpark or uh, uh, upgrading your scoreboard a little bit. And it's like, no, you need to put it into your team and improve your team. Yes. It's just, it's, it's amazing when you think about the, (laughs) how things, I mean, again, I, I keep comparing eras and I'm hoping that the 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 teenagers and the the kids that when I was really big into baseball in the '90s and the early 2000s that those are the kids of today that will be there for tomorrow and doing podcasts or God only knows what yep. platform is going to be around in the next 15 years that they have an opportunity to talk about what's going on currently in baseball. But I do encourage a lot of people to go watch old films, to go watch all the old. If they're on YouTube, go look it up. Find yep. a year, and you'll at least find full on games you'll find a lot of these uh, these teams and the the history look up the 1980s for baseball there are two teams that you're going to hear about in the next couple of days uh that it is kind of a fascinating case because the Tampa Bay Rays are what are they 10 and 0 right now as we yeah. record this and, and uh, oh, that's that brings up another good point i want to say they they're jumbling the schedules now now divisional teams only play each other 12 or 13 times a year instead of 19 times a year i want to agree with. on that okay oh, i love that that is yeah you you get teams that don't you know play each other that much and people are like oh the rays they they played against the tigers and they played the nationals they played the athletics they're changing the schedule which i do like i said i i, I like that because you know it adds it's something new for the fans that go to the games live like you know, I live near Atlanta, you know, now the Braves play the Yankees in Atlanta a little more now that mm-hmm. they, before that they go years without playing each other, you know? Yeah. I, it's, I do it's, like that. For me, I like the, um, so as far as scheduling goes, uh, if you're going to do 162 games, um, I, I, the divisional opponents, when they really start cranking that up where each team plays the other team in their division 19 times, and they would all backload a lot of those at the end of the year. And especially if you're a, I don't know, I'm using like examples of lame teams that no one really cared about. Uh, Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh. Uh, For for how many years? So you're going to tell me you're going to go to, let's say you're a Reds fan. You're going to Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati and you want to go to a ball game and yawn. The Pirates are in town. Great. Gee, I couldn't miss them. I couldn't see them this time. I guess I'm going to have to go see them the other 10 times this year that they'll come to town. And you just go, uh, it's way too much against the same opponent. Then you had that time where if you're an East Coast fan uh, of a, a team and a fan, and they go out for that big West Coast trip. So you're, let's say you're a, a, a Blue Jays fan. Or uh, or I'll say Yankees, and you get an opportunity to see them play Oakland. Then they go play Anaheim. Then they play, um, you know, uh, or Texas, or they'll do something out there, or go up to Seattle for for three games. So they'll do like a a, a ten game road trip on the West Coast, and then they wouldn't play the West Coast the rest of the year. Like that's ridiculous. At least have a second trip where they can go out there. You get to see different teams. So I'm glad that they're cutting down on the divisional opponents. What I don't like is because I'm, this is where I differ from the baseball purists. 
I do like interleague play. It gives me an opportunity. Now I've now seen every team in major league baseball now, because before you would have to go out of town or uh, since you like, if you're in Atlanta, but you're an American league fan, that's great. But if you wanted to see your Yankees or an American league team, you're going to have to drive to what at that point, probably Tampa is probably your closest right. American league team to Atlanta. If you wanted to go see one of your teams, I was fine with that. I liked in the nineties and their two thousands, we go to Cincinnati, we go to old Riverfront Stadium, and I would see the Indians play the Reds. Uh, or I can go to Pittsburgh and maybe see the team play over there. But I liked when there was – it made for a, a fun time when they put it right before the All-Star break. It was in June. Yeah, that's when they, they would, would always do, do like it. like two weeks June, of interleague. Yep. Like, so like the AL East is going to face the National League West this year. So you go, okay, so – if you're a Yankee fan, you'll still see them play the Mets because that's just that's what it always is. Yeah. You have a built in rivalry. But, hey, I get to see the Padres. I get to see the Dodgers. This is kind of cool. I like this. Hey, Arizona's on the schedule and there are teams that you don't know didn't normally see. Well, now when you're having teams open up uh, against an interleague opponent, it kind of takes away the luster. I like the fact that, hey, it's that time of the hey interleague play starting in June. We get to see the Cubs that are coming to town or, hey, I get to stay up and watch them play at Dodger Stadium. That was a fun little time at, at once. And now that they've interspersed it, I think it's taken away a lot of the luster of seeing other teams play. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I do enjoy the interleague play being spread out now. You know, now I can see interleague games in April, May, June, July, August, instead of just like that one condensed week. Well, I would look forward to that, but now that I enjoy like the Yankees open the season with the Giants playing them like first three games, you know, that was nice, just something different. And I think they played the Phillies too in their next series. So it was like mm-hmm. two interleague, two interleague series back to back to open the season. It's it's just weird because it's kind of like how other you know, other sports do that. They do play every team because of just based right. on schedule and everything, but uh I don't know. I mean, I, I understand you don't want to see the same opponents over and over again, but I, I just liked it, it. It made something to kind of look forward to when you're getting to those dog days of the, the schedule, yeah, when it, you get to June like and you say, hey, you. they, the Marlins are coming to town. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. I haven't never seen the Marlins. Like I never got, I never got a chance to see the Montreal Expos. It would have been nice, yeah, but yeah, it, I think they, I, I think Montreal came to my neck of the woods once, once. <laughs> and the brief to what maybe seven, eight years, the interleague play was around with the Montreal Expos. So, um, yeah, there's it's just it, I, I still love the game. I love the game. Um, watching it now, I'll watch it after I get done with the podcast. Uh, I, I go back in time. I watch the games like the the 87 Brewers and the 82 Braves are the two teams that started the season 13 and 0. So Tampa is 10 and 0 right now as we're recording this podcast. They're trying to threaten for that. By the way, both those teams did not win anything. Atlanta did go to the playoffs, but they didn't really fare very well against uh, St. Louis that year. And then uh, that Milwaukee team, after they went 13-0, they went through a big slide, and they didn't really do much yeah. after that. So, uh, okay, you start the season 10-0. That's not really indicative of what you're going to end up becoming. Oh, and Baltimore, by the way, I think they started the season in 1988. They were like 0-20. And then the next year, they're threatening for the playoffs. So it, yeah. it's it's not really based on those streaks. Uh, the, the, the Indians, a couple of years ago, had that streak where they won 22 in a row. What did that get them? They got bounced by the Yankees in the first round. But by CC Sabathia, who was in his late 60s, was pitching yeah. and couldn't throw a fastball at all. His fastball was gone and still beat the team that won 102 games and 22 in a row. So yeah. those streaks are not necessarily going to tell you what's going to be for the year. But it is nice when you start putting things in some historical perspective there. Yeah, it's good to see that. And it's good to. Now, do I think the Rays are going to make the playoffs? Potentially, yes, but typical Rays, you know, they don't they, – they're a small money team, so they, they can't really do much at the trade deadline. If they do produce any superstars, they either trade them or they when they become a free agent, they let them go. So it's just – there's no really real sustainability there with that ball club as far as, like, winning a, a World Series. And I remember when 2008, everybody was all excited. They had the new Rays logo. They're not the Devil Rays anymore. They were the Rays. They made the World Series – and they uh, lost to the Phillies. And then after that, you know, they, they've always been like a threat, you know, to the Yankees. The Red Sox are terrible now. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, 
just absolutely terrible. So I, I do think the top three teams are the Yankees, Jays, and Rays in that division. But yeah, like you said, 10 and 0, that's a good start, but it's a 162 game season. So anything could happen as far as yeah, the when you look at how kind of the strength in Major League Baseball, I kind of look at the National League right now. I think it's a dogfight yeah. in the National League. I think you're looking at, you know, the Dodgers are always around and very relevant. And you have just down I-5 with the Padres are a, a very yep. solid team who spends a ton of money. The Mets have an, an incredible amount of money they pumped into this team. And there are so oh, many yeah. expectations about the Mets. If, if the Mets, if, if they blow it again, like they did last year, oh my God. I mean, well, Buck Walter won't survive. Even if he did win the manager of the year last year, he's not going to survive if they don't. Yeah. They, they're, they're basically, they need to make the World Series right now. Yeah. So yeah. there is a lot going into the National League right now. And I think it's, Atlanta is always very relevant. You have Philadelphia wants to make a big comeback and go back to the world series. Uh, Milwaukee is, uh, is uh, Milwaukee has done a good job of being pretty yeah. relevant in the last Yellick. couple of years. I want, I want to cut you off. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. No, that's for, another guy. He, he played during the Titan ball down there of 2019. He belted 44 home runs. I don't know if he won the MVP award. Look at his stats since 2019, since that. Wait, who, who are we talking year. about? Christian Yellick. Oh yeah, people were, people were comparing him to Trout. They're like, "Oh, this this guy's like this guy's up there." And then you go look at his numbers: 2020, 21, 22. It's it's lack. He couldn't stay healthy. He hasn't been able best. to stay healthy at all, and that's why yeah. they've been putting him at DH so they can give him some more uh, some more uh, added at bats and uh, less strain on the body. Yeah, oh. um, uh, it's it's going to be an interesting baseball season, I think. Last year was kind of fun. The playoffs, you were seeing some teams like Philadelphia, they love, I mean, they love their sports. And it was nice seeing that Philly was kind of on fire last year with the Eagles being as well as good as they were. And the Sixers kind of bouncing back from years of irrelevancy and, and Philly going to the world series. And uh, it, it was a, it was a fun time to see. And it's a fun time when you were around baseball and I and I went to the playoff game last year in Cleveland when Oscar Gonzalez hit the walk-off home run I was there I saw the the when the 15th inning when it was deadlocked at zero there's nothing quite like playoff baseball and especially when you're in a town that uh, is prone to winning the problem is I think there are a lot of teams that are fine with being um I don't want to say I've been saying relevant constantly but I think Cleveland Tampa Milwaukee they never go for it. They never go no. for it when they have the opportunity to whether spend a couple of bucks for a free agent or it, they're just on the cusp. And if you're an organization, I think if you're a town like Tampa that has never, I mean, they've been to two world series, but they haven't won. Uh, if you're Milwaukee outside of Giannis and what the bucks have been doing recently, Milwaukee has barely made the playoffs has barely been a blip on the national radar. Cleveland has had the longest uh, drought as far as winning a championship. And that's 75 years this year. What would you rather have? Would you rather have 10 straight years of making the playoffs? And uh, I'll ask you this. You're in Atlanta. If you were an Atlanta Braves fan, what would you rather have? It would 14 straight years of making the playoffs and hoisting that national league, uh, uh, national league East division championship uh, pennant, or would you trade a couple of those for a couple of extra championships? How do you have Maddox Glavin and Smoltz, Fred McGriff, Chipper Jones, Marquise Grissom, all these great players. And you won one title out of it. And, and, and I'm wearing a rich stadium t-shirt as we record this podcast, Buffalo bills, Buffalo bills, four straight super bowls, didn't win. So you go, okay, that was great. There were fun times, Jim Kelly, everything, but would you have trade one of those for a championship? Look at Kansas city, Kansas city. The Royals have done nothing in, yeah, for years, they, but they, they won, won their world series. And they can yeah. always, they'll always look back to 2015 and say yep. like, Hey, what, what about the current team? It's like, wasn't 2015 cool. Wasn't that a great time? Yeah. yeah but what about yeah. the current team? We need to look in terms of building a, yeah, but 2015, do you remember where you were when Wade Davis threw that pitch and strike it? It was amazing. We had a great time. Yes, but what about the current team? I'm telling you, Lorenzo Kane, Hosmer, Mustakis, Alex Gordon. Yes, but what? That's what you do. Or if you're Florida yep. Marlins with uh, Wayne Huizenga, they went all in. 97 and 03. And they, and they did a fire sale like a year or two after each championship. 
after each one. Yeah, so, Derek Lee, Juan Pierre, uh, Luis Castillo, Mike Lee, Josh Beckett, AJ Burnett, Dontrell Willis, Hall of Famer that's playing right now. He's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Miguel Cabrera. He had all those guys playing. And, and then they rebuild the next year, and Marlins haven't even been close to the playoffs since then. So I think if you're some of these organizations that you've been on playoff droughts or you've been on World Series or championship droughts, uh, I think you have to make some kind of move and go all in. If you're not, if you're not willing to do that for your fan base, mm, then what are we doing here? What are we doing here? You, yeah. you just would rather win a bunch of games and make playoffs. And I, I just think at the end of the day, some teams just make those mistakes so they can create, I don't know. Like Again, I love the nineties Indians, but at, I look at them as they were losers. They didn't win. They went to two, two world series. That was great. I had a great 95 Indians are still my favorite team ever. Uh, the 97, I was there watching. I didn't go to any of the games, but I watched every single pitch from those playoffs. Sandy Alomar's home run over the right field fence off of Mariano Rivera, the missed suicide squeeze attempt by uh, Omar Vizquel that scored Marquise Grissom. Um, game seven of the World Series and Jose Mesa, I watched all of that. And it was fun. I loved those times. But I would have traded any one of those years just so I can get that one championship. And no, just not happening. For sure. In 2009, I was uh, 15 years old. I watched every single inning and out of that 2009 Yankees playoff run. People say, oh, A-Rod, A-Rod was terrible in the playoffs. Yes, he was, except for that one year, 2009. He was like magic. I'll never forget him, Johnny, Day- Johnny Damon stealing two bases, you know, in between pitches because the Robbie Cano don't you going know? on. Yeah, those, I'll take that Yankees team over the current Yankees team. Like that lineup you just mentioned, you were sitting – around a rod to share jeter cano like those guys all could hit and they all hit for average last thing base last thing i'll mention we were talking about and then we'll, we'll wrap up wrap up the podcast here um the records that are not going to be broken and miguel cabrera last year hit his 3000th hit has f- oh, yeah. 500 plus home runs like you said locked for the hall of fame has an over 300 batting average for his career unbelievable unbelievable career uh, and I thought what made it even more unbelievable was when they got Prince Fielder and he said, I'm willing to move across the diamond because I want to try to win a championship. They didn't. But it, for a guy at that point in his career, while he's winning MVPs, back to back MVPs, triple crown, he did so as a third baseman, which is a much more taxing position than playing DH or first base because they had Victor Martinez at the time, too. Um, oh, former Indian, too. Yes, yes, uh, Victor Martinez, uh, and uh, but when I look at some of those the the three thousand hits, and I think the last active guy with the most hits was Yadier Molina, and he just retired. I don't think you're having another three hundred three thousand hit guy. Cano Cano was close, but he messed up with PEDs. I think he was he's sitting at like twenty six and some change. Yep, and even if he did, even if he caught on somewhere in a couple of years, he ended up getting his three thousandth hit. They're not going to let him in the Hall of Fame no, because of the yeah, PED stuff. Been, yeah, so, I, like, I think if you look at career hits right now, I think I saw Elvis Andrus got his 2000th hit. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. No. Um, it, w- would Jose Altuve have that opportunity if you look at his statistics? Uh, if he plays another 12, 13 years, and I just don't see that happening. He's been getting injured. He got hurt in the World Baseball yeah. Classic. Could Mike Trout do it? I don't think so. I think Trout's been no, he's too been injured. injured. Yep. So, so I think even so, the la- So you won't see another three three hundred win pitcher. It's not going to happen. You might not oh, even no. see a two hundred win pitcher. No. Yeah. No. They're they're but, they're taking guys out after the fifth inning. Quality start. You remember that stat? Quality start. That's, mm-hmm. that's a quality start. Is you you throw six innings and you give up three or less runs. Well, you're not going to have any quality starts if you throw five innings. No one will pass Ricky Henderson's steal record, but I don't even think you're going to get guys. I think I, Starling Marte has 300 career stolen bases. I don't even know if you're going to get a guy who gets 500 ever um, at the, yeah. at this rate, unless they play for a long time. Um, I just think a lot of these records are just not going to be broken right now. And is that good for the sport? Does that kind of make those records look great by comparison? Kind of. That's You go, wow, look, I mean, imagine – pitching that many games that you got 300 wins 
uh, imagine you play in so many games that you were able to get this kind of batting average or this and this, and you, uh, Ted Williams hitting 400 and guys like Tony Gwynn and George Brett that got pretty close to it. But I think I saw Jeff McNeil hit 320 something and led the league last year. It's like, then we're, we're, what are we doing here? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I, as, it, as much as I'm complaining about, I, I, again, I still love the sport. I'll still yeah. watch. I was watching tonight. I'll watch again, but um, I, I'm a little dubious as to whether or not these recent changes are going to have the impact that Rob Manfred, that uh, some of these others think are going to happen in the games, because I just, yeah. I, I, I'm skeptical and I'd like to revisit this conversation that we're having in five to 10 years from now, because I don't know what, what's it going to take. So I, who knows? Yeah. Any, knows any last add- words here? Last words. I think they might add another team. And like I said, I love the sport. I'll keep watching. Um, I hope they don't shorten the season, but please don't go under 130 games. That's going to greatly depreciate the sport, greatly deplete, you know, stats, value, everything. Do you think, think uh, do you think they need to add teams or do you think contraction could be a possibility? I think they could add another team, uh, maybe around the Tennessee, North Carolina area, maybe around Las Vegas. I think they could add another team. What do you think? I, I think they need to take away teams. I think when you're looking at Miami and Tampa that is as successful as Tampa's been, nobody who lives in Tampa is a Tampa Bay. Now, okay, I shouldn't say that. There's probably a few converts over the years, but if you live in Tampa, it's because your family is probably from New York and yeah, you're a Yankee and, fan. Yeah, so you, and I've heard that down too. there and you're not going to you're not going to give up the fact that you were a longtime Yankee fan because your parents moved you to Tampa. You, and say like, well, I guess I'm not a Yankee fan. I'm going to hear I'm going to go pick up my Wander Franco jersey. No, you're I mean, you may, but you're also going to be a Yankee fan. And that's just what it is. It's there are certain places that are not uh, conducive to drawing fans anymore. And and that that opening day in Oakland, I mean, that team needs to be taken away from uh, that town. And the, I mean, I mean, to be honest, they, they screwed with the town too many times as far as how the yeah. team goes. But um, I mean, they had opening day and there was like more people at a at an Aldi <laughs> on, a, yeah. on, a, on a Thursday afternoon than there was at Oakland, whatever they're calling it right now in Oakland. I mean, that's a, Oh my God. They, it's sad. Yeah. Especially if you're a team like the Oakland athletics has been a pretty uh, historical team, but that team's probably got to end up moving to Vegas too. Just like the, just like yeah. the Raiders did. Or they could go back to the, what they did in the fifties, just bring one of those teams back to New York at a third baseball team in New York. I mean, you know, New Yorkers love baseball. It's always weird when I see uh, odd towns that could be potential for getting a team. I remember because can the reason I bring this up is Kansas City. They used to be the Kansas City Athletics, and before that, they were in Philadelphia. And I think about the Kings, who are also in Kansas City for this. They're now the Sacramento Kings, but they used to be the Kansas City Omaha Kings, and they were just the Kansas City Kings. Before them, they were known as the Royals. So there were the Ohio Royals and the Rochester Royals, but there was talk before because I think they had the longest playoff list streak in or drought in pro sports. And Sacramento, about 10 years ago, was close to moving to, of all places, Virginia Beach, because they said <laughs> the population of Virginia Beach and Newport News and Norfolk are such as bustling community that they would accept a, an NBA team. And I'm like, yeah, you probably didn't think this one through, did you? <laughs> yeah. And they they may not true. be drawing much in Sandy, Sacramento, but you're going to tell me the, the basketball team that they're going to do what they did in Oklahoma when they had to move the Hornets to Oklahoma City and they said, hey, this team <laughs> seems to support the team. Let's build a team here. Okay, well, sure, but I, it's it's going to be odd. But yeah, I think if you're Oakland, if you're looking to move to a different town, I think they would have to move a team as opposed to starting a new expansion team. Um, would it be Nashville? Would it be Charlotte? Would it be Vegas? Would it be uh, Montreal? Who knows? That did, Remember yeah. that weird thing they were going to say that they were going to propose that Tampa was going to play half their home games in Montreal and half in Tampa? No, <laughs> yeah. that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think COVID kind of shot that down altogether. But yeah. I remember that they were just trying to find out ways. And then for a while, like 10 years ago, they're like, no, we, we might move the race to North Carolina, but North Carolina is too small of a market. It's more of like a baseball 
uh, football state. So they kind of like, you know, kind of nixed that idea altogether. Well, and they also, the, the other thing about Charlotte that I found out, there's, it's a big Steeler fan base. You think it's, oh, the Panthers have been really good and they had that 15 and one season with Cam Newton, but mm, it's, it's a Charlotte and in that area of North Carolina, again, many people are transplants. They move there because they were tired and they're fans of the teams that, of the towns that they left. So it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting when you get into that region of the country and, you know, I don't need to tell you this cause you live there. <laughs> you see yeah, it first. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, like you last, said, last, remember- actually, last thing I'll ask you, is Atlanta as bad a sports town as people say it is? Well, I, I don't live in Atlanta. I live a few hours away. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as a town. It is. There's just a lot of, uh, other than the Braves winning the world series, it's just a lot of heartache when there's football season, they, they go all, they go all out, you know, it's either Cowboys or Falcons and, you know, Cowboys heartache. Yeah. A lot of Cowboys fans down here, man. I don't get it. I don't get it. I just, I just remember in 95 when uh, David justice (laughs) was ripping on the fans and saying that they're sitting on their hands while up in Cleveland. It's like, we're winning the world series here. And you guys are just like, yay. And Tomahawk chop, whatever. (laughs) But I've heard that for years that Atlanta had been kind of a, a lame sports mark. I mean, they lost two hockey teams. Well, well, I've met a lot of like, you know, Southern guys, like, you know, Hicks, Rednecks, whatever you call them, like Southern guys. And, you know, I'll ask them, hey, do you like, you? and they're from Georgia. Hey, do you like sports? No. And these are grown men. They love to hunt. They love all this, but do you like sports? The answer is no. That's a good point. So I don't know. It's just, you know, you know, Southerners, they you know a lot of them, they don't, you know, they don't appreciate, well, I don't, I don't want to say they don't appreciate sports. It's like, they're just not brought up like involving their kids in sports. And that's just not how they were raised. They were raised, you know, work on the farm, do this and do that hunt, but you know, sports, no, there's just nothing, nothing that they found interest in. Hobbies that matter, I guess. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Uh, what's uh, we'll get the plugs back. Uh, where can we, where can we listen to the podcast and uh, what's uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, this guy gets it 93 at twitter.com and uh, Brandon's S H asterisk T T Y stream at youtube.com. I'm going to be doing a baseball episode uh, this Saturday might have some NBA talk in there as well, but a uh, little bit of comedy. We try to be funny, even though we're not professional comedians like you guys, but yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, thanks everyone for checking out the, uh, uh, this podcast today. If you're listening for free, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur for five bucks a month. You get uh, 20 something podcasts a month. And if you pay me an extra five bucks, you get extra podcasts per week. So go check that out at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R or at locals at check your brain, find that on locals.com. And if you just want to be a freeloader and listen to the free podcast every week, goes out every wednesday morning so thank you everybody for listening to this week's edition of the check your brain podcast my name is tony mazer thank you again and i hope you can subscribe if not oh well i don't know what to tell you